0: The world has changed. I can feel it in the dice. I feel it in the character sheets. I smell it in the books. Much that once was is lost, for none now gain who remember it. Welcome to the ONE Podcast. A show all about the One Ring and experiencing Middle-earth through gaming. With your hosts, J.M., Richard, Ben, Calvin,
1: and Chris. We have gathered here again at the Green Dragon Inn with a full fellowship tonight. And tonight we are pleased to do a review of the uh, One Ring supplement, uh, Tales from Wilderland. It was brought to my attention before we started that Wilderland uh, causes... Richards all over the world to die and then you have to clap to bring them back to life. So it is Wilderland, not Wilderland. It is Wilderland, not Wilderland. That's right. And we don't want any more Richards to to punch themselves in the face over this. Yes, you're depopulating the multiverse. That's right. (laughs) Which probably means the safer multiverse, so take that as you will. (laughs) So, um, Tales from Wilderland is a series of... Seven adventures that can be either played by themselves or loosely linked together for a fairly satisfying campaign, and it was written specifically with new lore masters in mind, so that's one of the things we'll kind of be talking about. Um, anybody have any initial thoughts before we jump into it?
2: I Personally, I just love the way that the book was laid out, um, having a quarter page summary and then a three-quarter page, more in-depth summary really made it easy for looking through it to figure out, you know, what was going on and get a quick overview of things or a quick refresher as to, you know, oh, that's right, that's what was going on in this next scene. It was fantastic.
3: As you say, one of the, one of the other things um, which we've talked about a little is the, just the fact that the book um, really introduces the rules of the system very well, especially if you're a new lore master and you're a little shaky on that whole, let's say, you know, for instance, the encounters thing, which is probably the most radically different part of the one-ring system for somebody who's coming from, say, D&D or something like that. Um, Knowing, you know, how do you make encounters meaningful? You're not just, you know, rolling... You know, oh, role persuade to see if you persuade him. Like, you're, you're counting levels of success, and you're, there are different outcomes. And and anyway, this, this book does a great job of laying that out and showing you how to plan an adventure that's not just a good
1: role-playing adventure, it's a good
3: one-ring adventure.
1: Perfect. That's a, that's a great intro. Uh, before we get into this, players, just so you know, there are going to be spoilers about Tales from... Wilderland here. If you listen to this, it is, this doom is on your head if you use this information for anything but entertainment purposes. Uh, The first adventure is called Don't Leave the Path, and Calvin, why don't you give us a give us a summary. What is Don't Leave the Path about?
2: Alright, so Don't Leave the Path as it may sound, uh, is a adventure that takes the party through Mirkwood and, uh, like the name states, they should not leave the path. But as it, that would make for a very boring adventure, of course they do. Uh, and so um, this one's divided down into uh, six parts, plus an epilogue. Uh, there. And
4: if I may, real quick, the uh, having just read The Hobbit, that uh, the name is actually in reference to Björn's Warning. Um, not the Björn, Björn's Warning, excuse me. Um, uh, to uh, Thorin's company as they are about to head into Mirkwood um, from *The Hobbit*.
2: Uh, this one starts in Lake Town, and uh, and is a basically a what should be a simple escort of a merchant through Mirkwood, uh, and things go horribly awry. To what should be much enjoyment. Okay, so. What we end up with for "Don't Leave the Path" is we've got uh, six parts with an epilogue, where the party starts in Lakewood, meets up with a merchant who needs an escort through Merkwood, stops off in the uh, Elven in the in the Woodland Realm, uh, and uh, then moves through Mirkwood and with several encounters with. Spiders, uh, some other residents of Mirkwood, and uh, ending with hopefully having uh, gotten the merchant all the way through Mirkwood safely and sanely.
1: Excellent. Chris, any, any thoughts? Anything to add?
0: Um, not too much. I did like the suggestions on how to, and I think this is through the other sections. I liked how they have suggestions on how to play up NPCs. I thought that was a nice little touch. That's
1: oh yeah, like like the the hermit. You're supposed to mutter to yourself. Yeah,
0: it's not just (laughs) these are the attitudes of the character. This is you know if you're being this NPC, you should mutter to yourself. I thought that was a nice little touch.
1: And if you already mutter to yourself, well done, you're in character. <laughs> uh, so, what were your guys' favorite scenes? Like, what were, what were kind of the iconic moments in this this story?
0: I like the idea of combining hazards. That's one. That's the spot where they they talk about, you know, instead of just if you have multiple hazards, playing them out one at a time, combine them, combine them into one, like Uber hazard. That that was that was my favorite part that I got out of that first part.
2: For for me, it was actually the first scene uh, where the party is in Lake Town, and they actually, instead of you know the merchant coming up to them and saying, "Hey, I'd like an escort through Merkwood," um, they come upon this merchant being besieged by brigands, and uh, it's up to them, you know, how do they react? And so it's. I thought it was a really good way to, you know, throw the party into the action first off, but also to get an idea of how their characters are going to play out in how they're going to react to these types of situations. What can you expect from them? And you'll get some good tips out of how each individual person reacts, as to then, you know, how you can deal motivate with them? them later and motivate them or tweak them or whatever. Uh, you just get a lot of good information I think with uh, with the way that they, they dump the party into
1: the whole adventure. And that's, I mean, as the first adventure of this series that that's actually a really interesting I mean, I've got to imagine that's on purpose. You know, to put the characters in a scene where the lore master first scene gets a lot of, like, vital player feedback. Um, seems a little too purposeful, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. I love the hermit. Mm.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I
0: actually yeah. noticed that
4: about all these in here. The They did a great job fleshing out the NPCs in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Just sort of you meet these, occasionally meet just sort of these random, apparently random characters as you're traveling that sort of fl- fill out the world in kind of unique ways. Like, yeah, no, there's a couple in, in the one I'm talk- going to talk about that are just kind sort of awesome.
1: So, yeah. Well, that's as good a segue as any. Uh, <laughs> okay. And why don't you take us into the second one of Leaves and Stewed Hobbits? Of Leaves and Stewed Hobbits
4: is, um, I am so glad I just. I'm reading The Hobbit in the process because this is a truly, truly hobbity adventure. Um, it basically is about uh, two brothers. Uh, let me make sure I get their names right. It is, if I'm not mistaken, it's Dondinas and Dindinas. Um, because whoever wrote this was, was had apparently new new tables and knew that the NPC's names are going to be bungled to no end, so they just decided to make them nearly identical anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, in, the, in the adventure, they're called Dodie and Dindy. Um, but basically, these are two hobbits who... Dodie, um, Brandy Buck... In the Shire, was very was very proud of his uh, travels and adventures, and uh, because he'd been to Bree, um, and uh, always returned, and uh, could uh, could blow anyone away with his amazing stories of the crazy things he'd seen in Bree. And then he went to Bree one day, and he met Bilbo, and it was that was he was no longer awesome. Um, so they had dinner with Bilbo, uh, he and his wife and brother, his wife Ag- Agatha and his brother Dindy. Um, and. In the by after uh, several hours of, of drinking and story sharing and maps and etc, um, Bilbo offers to uh, Bilbo offers to give them a, a fund a inn in the wilderland. Wilder um, so the adventure begins. Your player players are. Arriving at the inn, which is a lovely place, and actually the way the the writing is is in the of the opening of this adventure is just great. It's, it's like directly out of of The Hobbit. Just sort of sets a tone there. This is a very hobbity adventure. But basically, you arrive at the inn, and uh, it's kind of it's really neat. Basically, the whole adventure sort of centers around the idea that hobbits are pretty exotic as far as the rest of the world is concerned, which is kind of a cool take. Just because uh, the hobbits are, are extreme, extremely mundane. But as far as the rest of the world is concerned, they have never seen hobbits. Yeah, so you know, at one point, you meet a couple of woods people who refer to them as wise children. Um, Bjorn lets them build their inn on his land, mostly because he thinks it's interesting. Um, and funny a little bit. Um, most of the people that actually come to their inn are uh, visiting them because they've heard about these tiny little people that have started an inn, um, and they're curious to see what's going on. Um, so it's in general, it's, it's sort of, a, like I said, they're, despite how mundane they seem or how kind of homely they are, out here in the Woodland, hobbits are a new thing, um, which, again, sort of fits this period between uh, the Hobbit and between Lord of the Rings when new things are happening in this particular region. Anyway, to speed things along, um, uh, Dodunas' brother has gone to back to Bree to pick up some supplies and is headed on his way back, but he, he appears to be late. Um, and so in classic RPG fashion, um, is a- asks you, after um, buying you you're perceptively picking out your favorite drinks for you. He's actually pretty sharp, sharp that way. Um, asks you to go and find his brother. Um, well, or at least
1: a really, or oh, if, if I may, that's a really, like, kind of key point when I was reading through this. It felt very much like the beginning of The Hobbit mm-hmm. and the beginning of basically any D&D adventure, because you meet at an inn, mm-hmm. and someone at the inn gives you a quest. Yep. And, uh, so you,
4: you head out, um, and after a few different adventures, um, it's it's honestly it's it's actually a quite pleasant little thing. Um, you're in Bjorn's land, and so it's pretty safe for the most part until you get up into the mountains a bit. Um, so you're you're walking across rolling fields. The sun is pleasant. It's, it's summertime, and then um, you meet uh, you meet a couple different things you can do on your way. as you can try and um, steal some of. Bjorn's honey from his bee fields, um, which uh, if you fail at that, then you get stung by massive bees and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> chased across the fields by massive bees. Um, you also meet a couple of strangers who are who think that basically the hobbits at the inn are easy pickings because they're so small. So you can do you can choose to do something about that or not. Um, and then you finally run into this this strange man named Shanker. Um, who basically invites himself to your fire and takes his shoes off and starts warming his feet? Who tells you that he has he's actually bought some pipeweed from from uh, Dindi? But uh, he laugh he's laughing to himself because those guys are never going to make it out of the mountains. the The high pass has been re- repopulated by goblins, and going to they're never going to make it. Um, so there's also the opportunity to to fight a night white. Which I guess is essentially a, a dark spirit that in, that inhabits some ruins that you have the opportunity to stay in, and then finally um, you catch up to the um, the group's uh, the excuse me, Dindys caravan, all of his guards. They and they are besieged by goblins at a ring mountain r- ring fort, and um, as far as new mechanics. I'm pretty sure this is the first time you actually have a pitched battle and I'm actually looking forward to something similar from our from my home game here with Richard because basically they're in a besieged by goblins with the whole rest with the four other members of the crew and you end up having to fight your way out or or die trying. <laughs> <laughs> I love it how and Ben says he. I know, I, I know, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm tempting fate in a massive way. Given that that Richard basically wants to see us all, all screaming and with blood running from our eyes um, from the
1: from the table. <laughs> but that's, that's a little harsh. I mean, it's accurate, but it may be a little harsh. <laughs> But um, yeah,
4: so you, you get to roll, roll battle, um, you get to see the allies rolling, they have a roll table there that indicates how they do in the fight um, and if you roll an eye of Sauron they, they all die <laughs> and then you the fork gets overrun Unfortunately you find out that after you defeated them that in fact the goblins already ran off with Dindy and have taken him back to their holes in the Misty Mountains so then you proceed into the Misty Mountain to rescue Dindy um, and there's actually, it's a great little sequence that, again, very much kind of touches back on, uh, on events from The Hobbit. Um, in, the, in there, the, the various goblins singing. They actually have a goblin song included
1: here. It's sort of, it's sort of a, like a mini dungeon crawl. Um, but, like, the twist is, at least uh, as I remember it, uh, mm-hmm. they didn't capture him for food. They captured him to make food. Yes, Exactly. Um, when you
4: finally reach Dindi, you discover that they have chained him with a magical, unbreakable chain. Which, which I feel like half the players at the table are going to feel like is railroading. The other half are going to think this is awesome. We should find a way to steal it. Um, <laughs> <Got> it. <laughs> um, so you can't just like yank Dindi off the chain off the wall and run away with him. You have to either finally the, steal the lock or um, actually help him cook for the goblins and then and somehow you know escape during the process. There is um, a so third you,
1: there's a there's a third option which is kill everybody. Flesh is not nearly as indestructible as the chain. I
4: was going to say cut off the hand. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, but <laughs> if it, it has a little in- in quote if the companion suggested dindinus, that they cut off his foot off, <laughs> he faints on the spot and can only revive with a strong cup of tea. I sit down and it's a successful healing roll so, wow, that's Dinadas, perfect. You don't need anesthetic. He just he <laughs> passes out. Dinodas is not down with this. <laughs> um, <laughs> they do make it extremely difficult to just steal the key, um, <laughs> so you can't just uh, sneak up and steal the key from the from the goblin chief. Um, the you hijinks do hijinks ensue. Yes, no. If if you do so, there will there will be some chaos will ensue, um, which may in fact allow you to escape anyway. So. Right, and, uh, yeah, at the end, of course, you return back to the inn, and depending on, and this is something I love about this, depending on how your discussion went with him at the very beginning, how that uh, interaction went, I don't know what it's called. but the formal interaction session, um, if, you, if you impressed him, or if you didn't really impress him, if he was sort of like, okay, just keep an eye out, um, he, he offers you a, like, a reasonable amount of money. If you really, if he really thinks you guys are, are pretty, you know, capable, he offers you some of the family silver, which bumps the amount up. If you like, blow the sock off of him, and you guys are basically the A team of Middle Earth. Um, <laughs> he he offers you um, some letters of passage that Bilbo actually gave him, which will allow you to basically get FaceTime with most of the major figures of um, of the Wilderland and beyond.
1: Um, and again, I just got to say, it is. Uh, aside from Calvin's very insightful uh, part about uh, Don't Leave the Path, where it is kind of a perfect introduction for the players to the GM, if that makes sense, kind of their mm-hmm. play styles, this adventure is kind of a perfect bridge from a more <laughs> traditional fantasy game into Middle-Earth because it's yes. so heavily tied to the structure and the themes of The Hobbit, yet you still have the structure and themes of a D&D game Mm-hmm. there with the inn and the exploration and then a the dungeon crawl at the end. It... Yep, yep, yep. And then,
4: yeah, no, it's... Uh, this is one of those adventures that I... If and when I run um, a tour game for my for my crew at some point, pro- I, this is probably how it's going to start because this would be a great starting adventure for pretty much any crew.
1: <laughs> I still think that for we should do a series of our actual plays with... Uh, each one of us running one of these adventures for the rest of the oh i, the career. I would totally run that one
4: well, I honestly think the, the other one I am supposed to talk about I think probably Richard should run that one just because it's it's very it's deeply emotional but that one I would, the one with the hop with this one I would I would totally play it. To
1: well, one and, and that's one of my favorite parts of this adventure is the fact that the the whole goblin getting the key from the goblin king can be as lighthearted or as bloodthirsty as your group kind of wants to be. Well, I will I will uh, start us off on uh, adventure three, Kinstrife and Dark Tidings. Um, one interesting thing to kind of note about all of these adventures is they kind of give you a year where this can be played. So if you're looking at Darkening of Mirkwood, you can tie these in in the roll of years, basically. Um, so kin and dark tidings, and it could just be because I've recently reread these. And Richard, you can you can tell me if you got this feeling. I'm reading through this, and I'm like, I've read through this adventure somewhere, but it was about it was set during the time of the first age with Torin. And then I was like, wait, no, this actually feels like this could have happened to like a Volsun because you have this child who becomes a foundling raised by a a foster father ends up falling in love with a, uh... lady named Brunhild, which is never a good... <laughs> never works out well for yeah, anyone. That's, that's kind of
3: a dead giveaway that this is probably an ominous decision right
1: here. Right? And she gets promised to someone else who, of course, accidentally gets killed. Again. And the this foundling becomes an outlaw. And he falls in with an outlaw gang. And... Um, the whole adventure kind of revolves around the PCs really being instrumental in this one person's life. Because this can go... Uh, well, I'll start at the beginning. Uh, your PCs come across a dead yearning uh, and they have some, some choices to make, um, which can lead to an encounter with Bayorn, and depending on how respectful they are of the dead, and I won't go into all of your options there, but let's just be, you know, this is Middle-earth, the more respectful you are to people in power, usually the better it works out for you. And you are sent after this outlaw, because the bodies belong to this guy who is, they were guarding him. Through a series of adventures, you come across the warrior uh, Odoric and discover that maybe the information that everybody's basing this off of is not entirely the case. But he has fallen with outlaws who can see that there is like a mighty fate upon this guy. And uh, depending on the PC's actions, um, a number of things, you can either push him towards becoming an outlaw, bring him back, towards society and then depending on their actions that even bringing him back could have multiple outcomes for this young man so it, it ends up being a very personal adventure compared to like the scope of the last adventure where you're running all over the Misty Mountains and you're fighting a bunch of goblins I mean there's a lot of that in here but it really revolves around the fate of one person and what I liked about that is it really kind of reminded me if I were playing through this reminds me that there are other stories going on in Middle Earth besides just the groups. I mean, you've got Bilbo's beforehand, and we know we're all building towards the story of the Fellowship, but there's Middle Earth is not about just a single person's story. There are all of these stories and how they intersect and cross and how different fate lays down different paths for different people. In
4: general, I, that's sort of something I love about the Wondering Game in general is that that aspect of of Middle Earth coming to the fr- fore. That, in fact, um, there are so many other stories possible and available here, just simply by nature of of the framework created for you, just in you know a few bu- a few you know one book even at this point. So, so right. something
3: something I really love about this. Uh, about this Adventure Jam is that the um, this is a really good guide if you're um, if you're a, a lore master or especially a new lore master um, for how to run sort of an investigation style game in mm-hmm. Middle Earth. Um, the things you know, obviously, you're not so much collecting clues as you are. Information and stories, and trying to, you know, trying to make informed judgments about people, and uh, and you do all of that, um, you do all of that through uh, through use primarily of the just the really amazing encounter system, and and
4: mm-hmm. and uh,
3: I actually think this episode, this adventure, probably even even better than the two before it, really stresses how robust and how powerful a tool that encounter system. Is for the lore master when he's when you know here she's trying to tell their story,
1: and, and I, uh, I, that was that was kind of my favorite part. Like mechanically, my favorite part of this, it really comes down to the tolerances, like knowing how to talk to people, how to how to use the encounters, the social encounter system, for your benefit.
4: Yeah,
3: tolerances and 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 the number of successes you you get as a party. Mm-hmm. Um, that's gonna that's gonna play you know, from the player side of the the screen. That's going to force you to, to really play very intelligently and sort of decide who needs to do the talking here and what kinds of questions should we ask, and paying attention to your social skills. Those the, the, the social skills in The One Ring are not just dumb skills. You know, you can't, you can't get along just fighting your way through everything. Like, you've got to be
1: smarter than that. Well, you can, but it ends in a very bloody, messy death. But eventually, Beorn hits you and you fall down. Right, exactly. Also just let's go let's go on the record. We at the Tour podcast or the the Wandering podcast do not endorse stealing from Bayorn. Stealing yeah, from a man who turns into a bear is like getting involved with a woman named Brunhild.
4: Yes. <laughs> yeah, don't steal his honey either. He has his Gen- to the size of your Gen- fist.
1: Skin Gen- <laughs> changers are not people to
3: trifle with, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Um anybody else have any thoughts on this Kinstrife strife uh, adventure? Well,
2: for me, as a GM who <clears throat> likes his plot twists, I like there was a sidebar in the middle of it that talked about if you wanted to make everything even more different than what it seemed, mm-hmm. um, a way to just twist things a little bit and, um, you know, just turn things on their side a little bit and play against people's perceptions and uh, I love me a good plot twist So, Yeah,
1: yeah you do and uh, it, it makes it feel even more like Volsung if you do it, that's all I'm going to say Now, we kind of talked about at the beginning how these, campa- these adventures could be linked together as kind of a, a very loose fitting campaign and Adventures 4 and 7 kind of provide the anchor points for that so, uh, Richard, you wanna give us our overview of those who tarry no longer?
3: Yes. Um, I have to say if there's one adventure in this book that I strongly, strongly desire to run. Um so I'm very pleased to talk about it. And 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 I'm I'm like currently the wheels are turning. Can I work this into my darkening campaign? Do can I run this as a as a one shot of the holidays or something? Because this is a really neat adventure. And uh, Basically, what this adventure is about is that the the company um, encounters uh, along the eaves of Merkwood. They encounter a number of elves who are traveling um, um, west out of the forest, headed for the high pass. And it comes out that the company um, is asked um, to escort an elven noblewoman from Merkwood to the high pass. But the the woman in question is is not just merely an elf, although that's probably a pretty impressive thing on its own for, for many Tor characters. Um, uh, the Elf Woman is not just an Elf Woman, although that would be probably pre- a pretty impressive thing for many Tor characters, um, depending on what culture you're playing, but um, she is Irime. Um, she is a High Elf of the House of Gilgalad, who is the last Elven High King. Um, who died in battle with Sauron? She has lived in Middle Earth since the days of the First Age. She's the one who um, is said to have woven Gilgalad's banner, and now she is tired of the world and she is traveling to the West. And so, it was sent with actually by no one less than, than Legolas. And I'll, I'll go ahead and say that because it's not that big of a spoiler. Um, but I, I think it's always very fun uh, for me pl- at running a game, but I also think probably as a player. Um, when you get to meet somebody that's you know from the established canon, um, you know you 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 run into someone and then you realize it's Gollum or you run into Bilbo or you run into Legolas. Like that's a, that kind of sort of ties things together. And if I can you know digress for a second, I think it it prevents um, this compartmentalization of here's the Middle Earth from the game and then here's the Middle Earth from the books. Yes. Um, and what with the the designers of Tor have done a very good job, I think. Um, of, is, is integrating their game with the books. And you are sent um, off into uh, uh, off to escort this elven woman to the high pass. And of course because this is an RPG um, it's not quite as simple as all of that. Um, what you end up getting involved in um, is one of those mass battles for which Ben is so eager. Um, you are, you are waylaid by an orc host and it is an incredibly dire situation, um, a situation which many characters might not survive. Um, but if you get out of that, and I won't say how, um, uh, then you find yourself having to fight a battle once again um, with this malignant presence who is opposing Aramae's passage to the west. Um, and you fight that battle not on the physical plane, but on the spiritual. And so it's a wonderful, I think this this, this adventure is a wonderful um, illustration of the the range that you have when you're running tour of of you know just like what kind of magic and how much magic those are sort of questions people coming from D and D you know into tour and they're like oh well I don't have a spell list now like what do I do this this is a great introduction to the kind of magic that you are likely to encounter in tour games things like you know contest of spirit contest of will. Um, um, in this case against a malign entity known as the gibbet King. Um, and uh, I'll mention him by name because he does in fact tie uh, uh, sort of the whole thing together into a cohesive campaign if you wanted to run it that way. Um, it has a, It has a haunting um, melancholy tone to it. Um, to illustrate that, I'll just point out a couple of things I really like about this adventure. One of them is um, in part two. There is a is sort of a list of as you as you're traveling, and you know, travel is something that exists in Tor. It's a wonderful mechanic, but you know, as a lore master, I've found you know sometimes it's challenging to keep it interesting. Um, so in part two of this adventure, as your group is traveling, Irimae is seeing things and recollecting what it was like in like before Sauron. Basically ruined it. What it was like before the shadow came, and so like she's walking as you're walking along. She she recollects those things and points it out, and it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity um, to, to 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 sort of infuse the story with a sense of age, the sense of melancholy. There's some, there's there's a great little paragraph in there for about how to play Iremae as far as her, as her you know, playing her like the long years weigh heavily on her. She only smiles. Uh, when it's tinged with melancholy, she looks off into the distance quite a bit, things like that, um, and it really gives a sense of this weight of time, which I think is and, and melancholy, which is so important to Tolkien's work. Um, and then the ending itself is actually quite um, along that same tone. There is there is no sense at the end. There are in books, both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, I think, um, sort of. Resist the happy ending trope. I mean, they, they they have happy endings, but they're 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 bittersweet. Um, you know, for, for for Bilbo, yes, the dragon's dead, but so is Thorin. And in the Lord of the Rings, yes, the the Sauron is defeated, but nothing is quite the same as it was. And uh, when you get to the end of this adventure, you definitely have that feeling that even if you were victorious, even if everything goes your way something beautiful is still leaving Middle-Earth, and it's, uh, it's a really tragic thing. Um, okay, anyway, it's no a great
4: quick. Um, um, Middle-Earth lore question of the night. Um, I've run into this a couple other times reading this. Why do they want to stop um, Irmae from passing into the West? I do not understand that. It seems like that would be to the general benefit of the, the evil scumbags of, of Middle-Earth that she is gone, why do they want to stop her?
3: Um, I believe that the Gibbet King's agenda is actually to attempt to enslave her because she's a very powerful being. Uh-huh. Um, the elves had never willingly served the enemy, um, but there are, um, and we actually meet them quite often in tour supplements. Um, um, the. Uh, we'll find elves that were enslaved for a period in the pits of Dol Guldur mm-hmm. um, similarly in the first Age in the Silver Alien, you have a lot of the high elves the Noldor who are enslaved by Morgoth um, to be his thralls and so I, I, think, I think this is a, a very powerful entity and this and this very malignant entity the Gibbet King sees to attempt to enslave her and bend her to his will and basically it's sort of up to you to help stop that Gotcha. Okay. Um, and basically, basically, he's counting on her resistance being lessened by her, the sorrow of many years. Uh, and, gotcha, of, and trying to use that to corrupt her.
1: Well, and playing on the whole melancholy aspect of things, like, even if, even if all he wanted to do was slay her, at least if she passes into the west, her beauty's preserved in the undying lands, whereas. If she dies on the high pass, I mean, what a what a blow to the characters, right?
4: Yeah.
3: And the the um, one of the final sort of dialogue boxes of things that you're making. The spirit was driven off. If this is if if you succeeded, the spirit was driven off, not destroyed. I did not think such evil things were abroad in this age of the world, but I was wrong. Darkness is coming. I fear. And I have not the strength to fight it again. I go into the West, but I leave you with my blessing for what it is worth. And that's sort of like the best case scenario for you. Um, this story has a lot of melancholy, which is something I really love. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's definitely an, an adventure I look forward to getting to run or play in.
1: Well, this adventure really kind of uh, has the uh, ability to segue directly into the next adventure. Uh, if you're running it as a campaign, these two kind of go back to back. So, Christopher, why don't you why don't you tell us about uh, a darkness in the marshes?
0: A darkness in the marshes. Um, uh, Radagast actually sends you to basically investigate these orcs, which. Uh, one I thought was a nice touch: uh, a red squirrel summons you to Ratigan, <laughs> which I uh, thought that was cool. Um, but yeah, he's concerned because of yeah these orcs are are I guess widespread or wider spread than than just you know um, the one encounter that you have in the last uh, um, adventure. Um, so he sends you off the trip to figure out what's going on. Um, what a, you know? Why are they doing what they're doing besides just being orcs? Um, sends you to a place called Mountain Hall, which I thought was cool. It was a nice little um, safe haven. And essentially, it's all leading you to a an outpost of the enemy known as the Dwimmerhorn. And I really like this because it, it you know you have to essentially sneak into the Dwimmerhorn and find out what you can there. Um, But of course, after you find out, after you have to successfully get into the fortress and figure out what's there, you have to leave the fortress, and that's where things can get tricky. Not that, you know, it's not tricky any other time as you're trying to get into the fortress. Um, But my, I I really like they have a, a cool little chase scene Mm-hmm. as you're leaving the, the outpost, um where the lore master actually has to keep track of how big of a lead you have on these orcs that are chasing you and there's a chance you could um they could uh overtake you. And I thought that was, you know, i uh, would say reminiscent of, of goblins and, and wargs chasing um the uh, Thorn and Company
1: in the Hobbit. Now if I you interrupt know, the, real quick, Christopher. Uh, there's also an NPC in here that especially if you run it right after the last episode when your your adventurers are going to be at an emotional low there's an NPC in this one that if you are the kind of GM who cruelly enjoys twisting the knife uh, in your players hearts and wringing every last bit of delicious tears from them mm-hmm. sorry did you call? yeah <laughs> <laughs> I really just I surround myself with these kind of GMs there, there is some. Uh, what's, what's the term that you use, Richard, for this kind of uh, underhanded sneakiness? Um, that would be uh, uh, sneaky bastardry. Yes, there, <laughs> there is, there is some epic level sneaky bastardry. If you want to t- twist the knife cruelly,
0: you kind of start to to understand the the creature, or the, you really understand the the. Is, is it Gibbet King or is it Gibbet King? Uh, well you you kind of, you, you um, really not, not not that it's an encounter, but you do encounter him for the first time I think for the first time
1: openly so, openly. yeah. there's um,
3: actually there's actually a whole dish uh, that we eat named after him um, on Thanksgiving. It's uh, gibbets and gravy.
4: Are you sure? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can cut that jam. <laughs> you heard it here folks. this is legitimate, deeply researched. Word stuff.
0: I'll okay, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, you you end up uh, having to sneak into this fortress and helping out the um this um what's it called Mountain Hall, Heartfast, Heartfast, the leader of Mountain Hall or the, the 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 leader of the Elder Council of Mountain Hall. You can't you help him out in his settlement and yeah. make like safe haven that you could get
1: to. Yeah. And maybe cultivate.
0: But Yeah, I mean that—that's—that's that's really the gist of it.
1: The All mind. right, Christopher, I can't—I can't believe you didn't mention the chain. The chain, which,
0: yes. The chain. The, the name of the chain is probably my favorite thing out of this whole supplement.
1: Uh, uh, the, there the, is a magic artifact known as the Chain of Thangaradrim, which plays a huge part in the rest of this campaign. But yes. if you are steeped in Tolkien lore, you should recognize that—that that name, and it should. Scare the crap out of you.
0: a
3: yes. um, very popular spa. spa and resort in Valyrian.
0: That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
3: the first age. A lot of elves spend quite a
1: bit of time there. That's right. Elves check in, but they don't check out, right?
3: That's right. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of a yes. <laughs>
1: um, also, I'm just gonna say, uh, Gore the Despoiler. Uh, he's one of the big bads in this adventure. Is brutal. Yes. And. Um, I can't wait to pit him against some players. Yeah.
0: My uh, my favorite part though is there is a a, a um, potential for a save or die moment. There's a chance you can fall and if your companions don't catch you, uh, it specifically says...
3: Now to be fair, there's a potential for a save or die in every game as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But this one actually, spe- you know, uh, uh, spells it out. Um, the companion falls from the cliff from its high empo- highest point and plummets to his death. So, I don't know, for whatever, reason, whatever reason that that was just kind of
1: stood out for you. I,
0: yeah, I really like that, and and the chase. I thought the chase was very, just very cool. Very, I don't know, you could have a um, a, a heart thumping moment. You know, as your players are trying to get away from these orcs, because there's a lot of them. There's a lot people. of
4: them. There's yeah. a lot of them that are chasing. People. So, yeah. I love right. I love in adventures when they do these casual and you then you die sort of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a thing. you know, it's it's a it's a small chance that you could die, but but if you if you roll right or,
1: I guess roll wrong, uh, yeah, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben. Don't make it a drinking game because when we move to axe, you will not survive. <laughs> you, know, like, you will not survive, you save or die. Just,
3: um, uh, uh, just as a confession, Ben, I've actually been running all works you've ever encountered as Gore the Despoiler.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: My GM,
1: ladies and gentlemen. Sauron <laughs> S- 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 just has a cloning machine and he just keeps <laughs> pulling the lever. There's a flash of lightning and another gore that the spoiler just piles out to, f- to fight Dover sure. the Dwarf. But they're all spelled subtly different. Right, right. Uh, Adventure 6 brings us to the crossing of the Kalduin. Did I pronounce that right, Richard? Yes. yes. Well, Kalduin, um, but Yes. <laughs> yes. So oh, no, you did, you did not say it wrong. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> you said it wrong. Yeah, that was a pity. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> um, Calvin, why don't you give us an overview of this one?
2: All right. So uh, this one is designed. Um, so these last three adventures are all really designed to be played one after another. Um, uh, they're they're really linked together. So this one's designed to be played after they've completed the you know the darkness in the marshes. Uh, this takes place uh, in Dale and around Lake Town, and uh, basically uh, everybody is getting together to celebrate the end of the Battle of Five Armies. And so there's going to be this big celebration, and uh, so start off and you have a big party. Uh, They even mention in the overview that uh, everybody's going to be there, even a certain Grey Pilgrim, uh, who's seen bringing in fireworks. So, uh,
4: So that kind of party.
2: Yes, that kind of
3: party. Uh, Before we go too much further, can I just say the Drunken Stone? Yes!
1: (laughs) If you (laughs) learned, I was going to.
3: I'm waiting eagerly for the next time my people are in Dale at an inn, because the Drunken Stone, that is amazing.
2: Yes. So... The adventure starts you know with this big celebration going on and contests going on and this is for me one of my favorite parts of all of these adventures uh, the not necessarily fake tests, but the the tests that you get to to take, you know these, Contests that you get to participate in. They have rules in here for how to run the riddle contests, the archery contests. A great melee brawl at the end that just gets to be a lot of fun where players can show off the more combat side of their characters in not a save-or-die situation.
0: (laughs) Except if you're an elf. Except if you're an elf. It specifically says, Elves do not enter the melee. True. (laughs)
2: Um, And so, as this contest goes on, they move on to a feast, and at the feast, uh, somebody manages to poison a significant number of people at the feast. And you are called to figure out what's going on. And as all of the, as many of the able-bodied men of Lake Town and Dale and the surrounding areas are coming down sick with this poison, uh, things, of course, get worse. And a raven shows up and warns you that an army is coming in from the north to wipe everyone out. And so now you have to go get reinforcements. So this is when you head down to the crossings of the Keldwin and try to convince uh, the garrison at this other town that they need to come help and to intercept these armies. And uh, yet again, another pitched battle with massive numbers and chances for valorous actions and equally valorous deaths.
0: May, may I just say they have a hill troll. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I had to do it, sorry. <laughs> and that sums everything up right there. They have a hill troll.
0: They have a hill troll.
2: I, what I really love about this
3: series of, of uh, the final three adventures is that uh, or or final, I guess three or four adventures, is that like you you start to get into like serious like epic territory. Like mm-hmm. this is this is a serious like if you just played pay, played the last, um, I guess three or four adventures all together. Um, yeah, the last uh, four, yeah, four, five, six, and seven. If you played the last four adventures all in a row, just as a campaign by themselves, that would be an intense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right, well, so this last adventure, not only does it wrap up Tales from Wilderland, it really ties up some loose ends from The Hobbit and brings some stuff in from, like, the appendices of Lord of the Rings. You find out in this adventure kind of one, you know, where the old master of Lake Town went with the gold. And while Smog was the, to quote the appendix of Lord of the Rings... Smog, the golden, the greatest of the dragons of his day. Uh, if you go back a few, couple, you know, a couple of paragraphs, you have dwarves being slain by a cold drake. Which this adventure not only has snow trolls, Christopher, yeah, but it's got a cold drake, and it has the master, old master of Lake Town, and the chain and the uh, gibbet king's plans. Everything comes to a very crashing and thunderous conclusion here at the end of the end of the adventure. So basically, in this adventure, the army of Dale comes home after the previous adventure, and the characters are sent out to kind of investigate this uh, old abandoned dwarven watchtower. I do think it's worth
2: noting that this is the uh, first adventure where they've specifically stated there's no time for a fellowship phase.
1: That That is a very important point, Calvin. Yeah, this... These last two adventures are designed to be played back to back with no rest for your characters. Yeah. But,
0: yeah, like
3: by
1: the time you get here, you're gonna be run rapid too. It's gonna be it's gonna be excellent. <laughs> um so Dane sends them off, and one of the things I really liked about this is because at this point you've run through six adventures and they're tying a lot of things together. So there are notes in this last section for for a new lore master. Which are like, well, what if my characters didn't do X or Y in this adventure, but they they did this other thing? So you've got little little nudges to help you make course corrections for more, you know, some of the more possible deviations, if that makes sense. So you head off into the uh, withered heath, and the only kind of, I think Calvin and I differ on our opinion on one of these encounters. Calvin, do you want to talk about Witherfinger? Uh...
2: That's I, an I certainly can name, By the way,
1: yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it
2: is an it, excellent name, and to me, this adventure just felt really out of place.
1: This uh, encounter in the adventure. This,
2: this, this sorry, this encounter in the adventure. Yes, that's correct. It didn't feel to me like it tied into. Here we are in a final adventure that's supposed to be wrapping everything up, and random encounter in the wastelands that is very evocative of Tolkien. I mean, they did a very good job with making it feel like this is a part of Middle
1: Earth. Um, One of those just, unexplained, almost Tom Bombadil kind of encounters. You don't know what, right. what she is.
2: Yeah. You, you don't know what she is. It doesn't really play into anything that you're doing. At all. And so, it just it felt very out of place to me. And uh, I will be honest, if I was running it, I would probably skip it.
1: For all of the reasons that Calvin just stated, I enjoyed the encounter. Uh, when we were talking about this, I'm like, no, I totally agree with everything you're saying. I came to a completely different conclusion. Yeah, I feel
3: like, I, Calvin, I'm, I'm afraid you just sold me on how awesome the encounter is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, um, fantastic. But, I mean, that's a good point, because it is one of those... Um, it is one of those type of encounters that the book is designed for new lore masters. You could really lose a lot of story momentum. Like, this could be a hiccup in the rising tension of the final act. So,
2: Well, and, and I'll be honest, I look at this and I see my players turning 90 degrees and going off in the wrong direction for the next three sessions. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm talking, in, a, in our in our defense, it's us.
4: <laughs> Once um, again,
3: you, you you sell you sell me on the concepts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I will say, looking at the troll stats, um, these trolls are ranged. If you can get right up on melee on them, you'll have no issues. Um no, no one's gonna yeah. call BS on that. I,
3: I, I, I feel like JM has not encountered trolls in the One Ring before. Ben, do you uh, wanna do you wanna take that no.
1: one? No, I'm seeing all of this. What I'm seeing is all of the party dying because they're like, I heard on the one podcast that if we charged a snow troll we would be <laughs> oh <laughs> Why is all of the snow red? Why is it so cold? <laughs> why am I looking at my body That's what That's right. <laughs> where do men go when they die all of these questions to be answered if you charge a snow troll. <laughs> Um but then yes you go to this Dwarven watchtower and um, there is a very hobbit-like encounter with a cold Drake there are uh, there is a chance to attempt to parlay with a dragon which, Calvin, what's the number one rule of dealing with dragons? Never deal with dragons. <laughs> that's, that's right. But if you choose to, uh, your GM is given a number, or your lore master is given a number of excellent options on how to deal with that. Um, and then the watchtower is a puzzle in and of itself. It's not a dungeon crawl, per se. Um, I really don't... I mean... there There is a puzzle aspect to this dwarven watchtower that if the players are insightful could have a, I won't say, very easy time with the final encounter, but a easier time with the final encounter.
2: See, so here again is where we differ in our interpretation of things, because uh, my notes out of this were that what I liked about the Watchtower is that this is how you do a dungeon crawl in the one ring. And, you know, while it's not your standard D&D dungeon crawl, this is how you take a dungeon crawl and theme it with, you know, similar types of concepts, right? You're mm-hmm. working your way through this ruin, through, through this watchtower in this case, but you theme it with concepts that are consistent with the one ring, with the puzzles, with the you know, the encounters themed that way, as opposed to just kick down the door oh, there's monsters or there's not That's
1: right? a, really, yeah. good point.
3: That's a yeah, really good point Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from on that um, The we, we ran a I wasn't this, you know not explicitly a dungeon crawl, but very similar to that kind of concept um, in our darkening campaign, um, and it was it was it was one of those off book things that's that 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 I just sort of planned out, and it and it worked. I think, I mean, Ben, maybe you can speak to that, but um, I I felt like it worked really well for sort of sort of showcasing like the weird and the and the mysterious and the magical um, aspects of the One Ring, but also um, Kind of, you know, there was a very strong puzzle aspect to it. So, and I, I think, I think this is this is really doing much the same thing. So, I, I think I'm with Calvin on this one. To me, the, to me, the the most appealing part of uh, the traditional dungeon crawl has always been the exploration. Like, I want to know mm-hmm. what does the place look like. What's the story? So, this right. has that, and then it, but it, but it sort of shows you. Here are some ideas, lore master, for when you go and you write your own adventures. Here are the kinds of places. Where that exploration and that danger and that sense of mystery is going to
4: take place.
2: Well, and that—that that, that was the biggest thing I took out of the this encounter was take notes. This is how you can, you know, again repeat that in different places
1: in my own adventures at a later point. Like just building on that, this is why for me, my recommendation is if you're a new Tor lore master after you buy the main book get tail after you buy the, the core rules get this supplement first I'd even probably say possibly before you get the lore master screen because not only is it a series of good introductory adventures for a lore master but it kind of walks you through by example here's how you build a good tour adventure here's how you can link things to build a good tour campaign. Agreed. Well, any final thoughts on that adventure or the whole of the campaign? I would
3: say that doing a review of this um, supplement has definitely challenged me to step up my prep game for my Darkening campaign. Um, Just as far as there, there were some good things, some things I feel like I was doing well as far as a social encounter preparation goes. But looking at the level of detail that's here, I think there's a whole lot more. Room, and we're not talking a lot of extra work on my part either. It's just something I need to work on.
4: Yeah, that is one thing I noticed. Um, even and, uh, compared yeah, thought... to, in compared to other um, adventures and systems that I've seen, they do a really good job making the the world feel very alive and real,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
4: as in a place that this actually exists. And I think, um, I think that's one thing that's. It's easy having played, um, and. I think especially with the fact that travel and can take it is realistic, much more realistic in, in tour as in the sense that, oh, it takes you a week to get back to, to wherever you're going after you finish your, your, your mission. Um, that's I think the fact that the world does feel so real um, along with that ends up sort of helps help sort of balance that out um, because there are certain aspects of it that do feel, can feel pretty mundane but the fact that the you know this is such a living world makes that feel less like less of a drag or less of a you know a, a sort of a tacked on effect as it is you know I don't know it doesn't feel as as if, it feels real as opposed to I'm not saying this correctly here as opposed to a just a slog or as as, as, a, as a as an added effect for you know
1: effects sake right things like the traveling. Well, and just kind of two side notes on that. One, um, one of the things that I have kind of written down in my notes when we talk about useful aids for um, lore masters is some sort of way that you need to be keeping track of the travel. And I think this adventure kind of highlights that, or this can't, you know, this series of adventures kind of highlights that because it's very easy to forget that. Now that took you three weeks. Where are yeah. we at now? Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is as if you're a lore master and you look at this book and you like what you hear but you're kind of leaning towards Darkening of Mirkwood um, do not expect what we just covered to apply to Darkening it is a completely different beast um, Ruins of the North works a lot more like Tales from Wilderland right Darkening, darkening is a very
3: high-level stuff. It basically, James, you can tell me if we're getting too off-topic here. But what the way I would describe darkening is that darkening is everything you need to run, tour as a 30-year, um, because it's got the full progression of time. And even if the PCs decide they want to go off and, you know, do something else, and it has sort of one suggested adventure for each adventuring year, um, and, and even then it's given on a very high level. Um, but then, but then beyond that, it says here's all the other stuff that's happening in Middle Earth this year. So if if your PCs happen to be in this part of the north instead of this part of the north, then here are the other things they could do. And so right. it's uh, it's definitely it's very different from from this. Uh, it's very different from this supplement um, in sort of its scope and its purpose. I think, um, and I, I would I would recommend. Um, and part of me wishes I had done this, um, uh, you know, it's, I guess, too late now, but I, w- I would recommend run some adventures from Tails before you do Darkening. Yes, and um, it, it's kind of the difference between... Sharper. Oh, sorry, go ahead, finish up. Oh, just, you, you'll be a
1: much sharper lore master for it. Yeah, Tails is... Uh, I don't want to say it holds your hand, because it doesn't, but it lays everything out for you so that if you've read the... Adventure, and listen to our show plug. You um, <laughs> you 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 don't really need to do any other additional prep for it. Like it is a a self-contained modular adventure. Uh, darkening is really here are the here are the broad strokes of what's happening over 30 years. Now it's up to you to pencil in the details. And. Um, one is not better than the other it's just i just yeah. thought we put a disclaimer here at the end that if you're looking at darkening and we're going to be reviewing darkening here soon they're two different beasts so don't don't expect tails to equate to darkening i guess it's kind of the the end of that long rant any final thoughts before we sign off they have a hill troll <laughs> they have, have a like snow that. troll and snow trolls are warm and cuddly. you should you can tell them. by the picture in this in this that's supplement. right And if you have some really bad travel rules, you can always cut them open to stay warm. Yeah.
3: I think that's in in one of the Jackson films. I don't
1: think that's in the books. That's right. they Um, smell uh, uh,
4: abominable?
1: (laughs) 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 And with that, we leave Middle-Earth because we are being kicked out.
0: You have been listening to The One Podcast. You can contact us with your questions and comments at theoneringpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Google Plus as The One Ring Podcast or on Twitter at The One podcast. Thank you for listening.